passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Welcome to Rewind a Raw. It is John Pollock here alongside. Wei Ting, and we've got quite the show to go through coming off of TLC. And off the top, I do want to uh, wish condolences to a friend of the site, uh, Dave Meltzer, the passing uh, of his mother on Monday. Uh, everyone here at Post Wrestling, we want to wish uh, condolences to Dave and his entire family, but I just want to mention that off of the top. How are you tonight, Wei? I'm doing okay. Yeah, not so bad. It's um, counting down the days till. Uh, the end of this year, I guess we are approaching. Well, we're approaching Christmas, so that's that's a nice thing. But then, uh, yeah, one more week to go after that. Two more weeks, and we are going into lockdown on Saturday. Are you excited? Twenty-eight days. Yeah, I don't know how much of a difference that makes for me in particular. I mean, I haven't probably minimal. Yeah, so um, it's it's definitely a bigger issue for you know students because uh, schools are going right. to be closed after the holidays. For uh, at least two weeks, and in some cases, maybe even more, like four weeks, maybe. So, yeah. Um, I think, think, think of that for time. parents. Their, their kids come home from university for Christmas, and hey, mom, dad, we're not going back. We're here to stay. Uh, it's a whole bunch of, um, I'm sure, time management uh, issues um, that that it presents. But it seems like it has. It really has to be done. Yeah. So. Well, we have a lot to discuss. Uh, we'll be getting to Raw and your feedback. Off the top, though, we're going to go through all of the news uh, happening today. And who better to bring on to go through some of the key news items? He is Post Wrestling's own Andrew Thompson. What's going on, Andrew? John Pollock and Waiting, my, my good man from up north. How you fellas doing, man? We're doing well. How are you feeling at this point, man? You were <laughs> You worked all day. Sat through raw, and now you're here with us. I'm I'm amazed that you're still standing at this late hour. I'm, I'm thrilled, man. Thrilled, <laughs> always thrilled. <laughs> well, tell us what's uh, what's going on news wise. What's uh, what's what's topping the headlines today, man? So uh, I actually, something I did like actually was very interested to talk to you guys about. I kind of like literally just saw this uh, before we, you know, before we started recording here. Uh, it was that. Did you guys happen to see that video that Dana White put out? Oh my god! I, I could do this whole show, Andrew, on this video, and I'm seriously I don't I don't have the capacity to go through this. If if you are so inclined okay, so to watch this five minute video of Dana White, that I feel like this man since everything that went down in 
May and April has envisioned this video and was probably seated next to his editor going frame by frame. It's basically <laughs> him giving a fuck you to every he has he has just p- pigeonholed the media as the ones that that doubted him and it's just uh it's it's so like ridiculous. It's it's so absolutely absurd. Um I will encourage everyone to go uh, if you don't follow Luke Thomas, Luke Thomas MMA on Twitter, he has gone through with receipts. He has gone through every article that's cited, and he gives merit to whether it's a valid criticism that Dana is bringing up or whether they are extremely reaching. Of course, in not- this is all about the decision for the UFC to run and how they were doubted. And look what we did. No mention of... Uh, of positive tests along the way, which which were going to happen. No mention of the fact that it was, you know, government officials that were getting involved here, that it was Disney that was uneasy about the fact that they were considering at one point going to a unregulated Indian reservation to run a show. None, none of that stuff is mentioned. It is just the media doubted us. Look at us on top of the world. It is it is a piece of unbelievable theater from the UFC and Dana White. Those are my thoughts on it. <laughs> but yeah if you if you haven't really seen it if anybody's listening this haven't seen a video it's like just a quick rundown of it basically just recaps the early headlines in march and april and like how there were a lot of uh mma journalists quote unquote uh dana white like as he put it you know doubting him uh for running during the COVID 19 pandemic and he had like legit uh like like pictures of headlines and like the, the actual reporters who were uh reporting on the news and like he had like screenshots of them and video footage of them talking about it and he just like compiled this into like this five minute video that you just heard john describe and you know at the end of it he touted um you know record number of store sales and impressions for the for the fight island and uh zero jobs being lost at ufc during the pandemic and like it was just it it, it basically was recap what john just said a big you know basically a F you to the, to the media or anybody who had anything mm-hmm. remotely negative to say about, you know, what he did and, and they were running through the pandemic. So, you know, I, I was going to pass one, it one week, that. one week after he noted that there will probably be about 60 fighters cut. And, uh, <laughs> going back at the beginning of this pandemic, when they wouldn't release any of their protocols ahead of time before they went to fight Island, I'm going to get on a soapbox here. So we better, uh, <laughs> move on. But honestly, just for the, uh, for the theater of it, like watch this video. Like it's it's stunning that they put this out, but maybe not so stunning. It it, de- it definitely gives you a sense that uh, it's not so much six degrees of separation between the mindset of Dana White and Donald Trump. It's more like ha- half a step away from their mindset. They're very in sync with one another when it comes to uh, what 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 they can uh, put out there and and ma- making the media very easy target. I think for them to get what whatever they need off off their chest. So. Listen, there's a lot the UFC can be very proud of, of how they ran through this pandemic. I mean, the fact is they they did eventually go to great lengths. And I think a lot of the criticism ended once it was put into practice and people knew what they were doing and the extremes that they were going to, along with the assistants in Abu Dhabi who were assisting them financially in all of this. Um, so listen, there's... Uh, I'm, I'm sure there are elements that he felt was unfair criticism, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I thought there was a lot of just crit- criticism levied towards the UFC. Their first event, they ran in Brazil, no COVID testing. So they came a long way from that first show. And o- overall, I think they did do a very good job this year. What way did you happen to get, uh, get a chance to see this video? I have not. No, unfortunately, I try to stay away from all things um, Dana <laughs> in my daily life. 
ain't gonna blame you on that but we're gonna move on to the next topic folks we had uh some some, some very serious news uh coming out early this morning um ben, ben k um of dragon gate uh dragon gate announced that he suffered a mild concussion did, did you i don't know if you guys had the opportunity to see the, this video as well but it, it kind of made the rounds of social media of what happened uh basically ben k was coming off the ropes and uh he, he was facing uh shun skywalker and he got hit like with a mean forearm and you could tell ben k was just like he was done you could just tell he was knocked out he was not there at all and shun went to the top and hit three straight moonsaults on this dude. For, for, I think he first he hit him um, with, with a standing moonsault and then connected with the knees and then went up twice um, for a moonsault at the top. And then the referee counted. And then I, I'm, I'm assuming what it looked like, it wasn't the finish of the match. So the referee like hit the three, and but he didn't like call the match. And then Shun went back up to the top rope, hit Ben K with another moonsault while this dude was knocked out. And then the referee hit the three. And then like you can see people kind of rush in and like kind of pull Shun off of, uh, off of Ben K. Like, that was a very, very scary situation that could have went left because it was, like, just clear as day that this man was was not there in the, in the slightest. And it, I saw a lot of people kind of, you know, picking it apart, I think rightfully so, just the fact that they kind of just let that let that go on for that long and be hit with four consecutive moonsaults while you knocked out in the middle of the ring. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think, I think that's something that anybody wanted to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I, t- to be transparent, I haven't, I haven't seen the clip yet. I, I was told to check out the the last three matches on the card. If if I can have some time this week, I will. But uh, just as you're describing it, I mean, this is something that uh, unfortunately happens with like some degree of regularity that that we see these. Whether we're going back to uh, that that show at the Copper Box Arena last year that New, New Japan did uh, d- during the Kenta match with Ishii. I mean, you know, we, we've seen these types of scenarios where someone is clearly out of it. And I, I think that we just need like a more standard protocol for when this happens. And the old mentality of just you've got to get to the finish no matter what. I think that's such a dated view of things like we're we're talking about uh, on the same day where we're watching uh, The Fiend, Bray Wyatt lit on fire. It's like nobody is taking this to a degree of seriousness that we can't treat this in the most serious fashion that this is a athletic contest where injuries occur. And if someone is knocked out, that's it. The match is over. I think that you have a fan base that they think will react so negatively to something like that would happen, which momentarily perhaps, but I think you have a much larger amount that would be thanking promotions for thinking like that. And this is something that I just think you it's happened way too many times that you just need to have a standard protocol that your referees know that when, when someone is out, that's it. It's over. We're not doing any more spots. We don't have to race to the finish. It's over. That's it. It's a no contest. I just saw the GIF myself. It's a vicious looking forearm uh, clothesline. And um, it, it, it's, it's wrestling is so weird in that it's not like MMA where somebody gets knocked out and immediately you think that there could be something wrong. And so if you're a referee, you're going down to check. In wrestling, the job of the person getting hit is to look like they're unconscious. So it's it's a far more, I think, um, you know, a sensitive um, area when you have to be able to navigate whether or not somebody's acting like they're unconscious or if they're actually unconscious. And I really don't envy any referee's job in having to navigate this, you know, um, definitely if you want to lay some criticism on the referee in this particular spot, um, does it, you know, call for some sort of 
review of like how you recognize a performer is not acting and they're actually unconscious. Maybe it does. Um, personally, I think things such as this um, are are part of the the risk of professional wrestling, and uh, really unfortunate. I hope uh, I hope Ben K's all right. Yeah, definitely hope Ben K's all right. Like I, I was about to jump right there to, to the next topic where you said something that kind of like really. Uh, brought something back up. I, I know you guys remember uh, when Alex Reynolds had his situation on Dynamite when he got knocked out, but you know he came out and, and publicly said on podcast that he wasn't knocked out and he was aware of what was going on the whole time. And you know you can pick or choose whether you believe what he you know saying. And I don't think he ever at any point criticized AEW for you know how that situation was handled. But I was just wondering, like you know, get, get kind of you know in the similar situation, I was wondering, uh, you know, kind of what you guys feel about you know the Alex Reynolds thing, you know, all these months have passed now, several months have passed now and, you know, coming off this Ben K situation. And then, you know, of course, Alex Reynolds, you know, I think he was on the, um, the AEW unrestricted podcast a couple of weeks back and, you know, he kind of opened up more about the situation and just, you know, proclaimed that he wasn't knocked out and it was never that type of situation. And he was always aware, you know, everything that he kind of had to say regarding the situation all these months later. Yeah. I mean, like the clip really, like, it is what it is. I mean, you watch that and it's not like he came out at the time and said that, which I thought was would have been strange, but because there was a lot of criticism at the time, I'm not going to argue over a man over what his what his uh capacity was in that moment uh if that's what he's stating. Okay, fair fair play to him. Um it looked pretty concerning watching that clip and I think we we've all seen enough pro wrestling clips to uh like that really was not a element of the match. So I don't know. Um, but just getting to the larger point is that, you know, we, we can see that these issues are going to happen. Like that's just, that's just the nature of the industry. And I think it's not so much like, is it a case right now where the, the referee is the third man in the ring to essentially be that person? And what guidance are they being given? I think it's, you know, there are times when you might have a flash knockout. The referee is not going to catch everything. But in certain terms, like you, the viewer at home, it, it's very clear when someone is out on their feet or, or something has gone awry. And I think the the mentality is more so that, well, we, we just fight our way through and get to the finish. And I think it just, it would be much easier if we just have a black and white scenario that if if someone is is compromised then that is then that is the end of a match that person is taken out and if that requires like further like uh, like a referee in pro wrestling has to serve a lot of different fronts and and maybe they have to be trained in in such a way to be able to instantly identify you know certain vital signs to be aware of certain things like to be able to, to check on them um you know, we don't we don't know exactly transparently all the training uh, that is done in the different promotions with their referees, but that to me would be certainly something that unfortunately does fall on the referee to quarterback that. But it's a whole company initiative of what do we do the next time this happens? Every company will probably have one of these over the next year. Any additional thoughts, my good man, Way? Not so much. No, I think we we've kind of said about as much as we can. It's a very kind of um, every situation is kind of different. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. What do you think? And, uh, and I I think we hit the nail on the head pretty much. We you know nailed it down. Ho hopefully you know again Ben K is all right, and you know uh, hopefully a situation doesn't come about again. Uh, you know for Alex Reynolds. Hopefully you know he's 
staying steady and, you know, hopefully he's, he's continuing to recover. And we've seen him back in the ring and, you know, he's back on BT doing his regular thing. So, you know, good for Alex Reynolds. And uh, well, back on the WWE front, man, uh, Kevin Owens is getting his rematch this Friday night on SmackDown. Uh, of course, that show is being taped. That is uh, WWE's uh, Christmas show uh, for SmackDown and is going to be in a steel cage. He's going to be challenging Roman Reigns for the Universal title. I'm going to ask you guys, do you, would, would you guys put it past? I mean, well, okay, so if this match is, the match is taped, so let's say they do do a title change, right? Just just for the sake of it, would you guys think, would you guys kind of put it past WWE to have this switch? And I, I, I doubt that, uh, I, I would be very surprised if a spoiler doesn't get out by the time Friday rolls around. But would you guys be surprised to have the switch happen uh, to make people tune in to SmackDown on a Christmas day to actually see how it turned out? Oh, yeah, that's interesting because they are they're taping it Tuesday and they've got the Thunderdome audience. So this is not the case of like this is on a closed set and fans mm. will not see this. So in theory, um, we probably will know the, the results going into a Friday show. I'm not expecting a title change. Um but if if there was one, yes, I would I would expect it would get out. I don't think that would be, the the fact that there is uh, the Thunderdome audience there that would certainly be out. It would definitely. I I, th- I think to your your question, Andrew, like if if they were to pull a title switch, they would know full well that would get out, and and I do think it would actually help the number. I I like that's a big event, and that's not going to turn people away. That will actually, I, I think you'll you'll get the opposite effect. Like that would have an impact on people tuning in and the curiosity to see Kevin Owens winning the title. I'm just not expecting. You know, it's a Christmas show. I don't know how much they're expecting in terms of ratings anyway. So why not just do the show that you're going to do anyway? And then if you happen to get some extra publicity out of it, then great. You know, I don't expect a title change uh, in Reigns versus Owens, but I do expect one for uh, Big E. So I think that in itself might, you know, gain a bit of um, interest. They're they're loading this show up. This is like a big SmackDown on on Friday. Mm-hmm. They, they they definitely are stacking this one up. I think it's three uh, title matches. They got the women's tag title match too. So they, they I'm definitely expecting. Uh, oh, on your point, where I'm definitely thinking Biggie probably gonna take the title off Sami Zayn. And maybe if that's the case, like if they're following that football game, may, maybe they put Reigns and Owens on first. If it is Reigns retaining, and you have the big send off moment at the end of the show of Biggie's big title win. I would. Yeah, you definitely close the show with a good moment. And, you know, speaking of football, uh, a, a loss for the uh, pro football world and, 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 you know, for the pro wrestling world, uh, the passing of Kevin Green, NFL Hall of Famer and uh, former WCW wrestler. He had a couple of stints with WCW in the 90s. Um, I only knew of Kevin, um, you know, through his football career because I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So I've you know heard his name before and uh, I was used to. Uh, Use him as a character in the NFL Street Game. He was a beast. That's where I know him from. But uh, but but you guys uh know Kevin from WCW. Obviously, you got to actually. You know, I'm I'm assuming you guys got to actually see him uh perform in the ring. Any uh memories that you guys uh, have of of Kevin Green and his time in uh, professional wrestling? Well, just that Kevin Green when he came into it. I mean, it's you know, especially when we're talking about that era. This is the late '90s when when you would get a celebrity crossover. It would be more often than not, it's the person that's coming over that, uh, you know, you you hope that they're a fan of it and you know very quickly if they are or they're, you know, they're doing it because, you know, it's a gig and they're getting paid for. Uh, Kevin Green was a massive fan. So you had a great athlete, a, a significant football player like this was not just some random player coming over. It was a massive Ric Flair fan. 
And he just took to it so well. And I remember at the period of people saying, like, if this guy had crossed over, he probably could have made that transition to wrestling. Like, he he took to it that fast, um, significantly more than, than Steve McMichael. Uh, God bless the guy. But Kevin Green just had such a, a natural... Uh, aptitude for wrestling because he was a fan of it and was this super athlete on top of it. So, I mean, he only did a handful of matches uh, between 96 and 98, but I mean, that that's the part that stood out to me was if this guy, um, you know, he played a, a few more years in the NFL, if, if he had made the transition, he, he did it late in his career. Uh, I, I think he could have, it's just, you know, financially, he just had so much more left in the NFL. Yeah, I really am not familiar with him other than maybe the brief occasional rewind aways where we might have gone back to watch something involving him. So I don't really have too many thoughts as it relates to either his in-ring career or his football career. But uh, anytime a man dies at such a young age, it's obviously you know very tragic. So our condolences. Definitely uh, condolences to his, Kevin Green's family. But that's going uh, to wrap it up for the news segment uh, this week, fellas. Cool. Well, Andrew, uh, if we don't chat with you, uh, have a wonderful holiday. Uh, thank you for all of the work that you put in at postwrestling.com. And we'll, we'll definitely be chatting with you uh, in the near future. So thanks so much for joining us tonight uh, to go through all the news. Uh, no problem, man. I, I got my um, my post-Christmas card, too. I, I, I did not get my post sticker, but you know I'm going to file that complaint to corporate, and I'm going to get that taken care of. Oh, geez. <laughs> we'll get right on that. We'll, we'll... Push it up to the higher ups. I, I think Andrew's got to sneak in a an, another workout. He's getting ready for the the Royal Rumble uh, challenge next month. I think oh, he's doing. I think he's doing two days uh, with trivia <laughs> and get, getting getting himself ready for the big comeback. I'm, I'm getting ready to get cheated. That, 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 that's, what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm ready for, man. But now, nah, uh, th- thank y'all for having me on, man. And uh, good luck on the rest of the show. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks Peace. a lot, Andrew. Peace. A.D. Thompson underscore underscore is where you find the man. Uh, we, we thank him for all his contributions at postwrestling.com. The double underscore. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it before. Um, one other quick note I, w- I just wanted to get your thought on, Way was uh, we did get the SmackDown number, uh, which was on FS1 on Friday. They did a million 30,000 viewers, a .30 in the demo. So this is the best they've done on FS1 of the three times that they've gone there. Uh, not going against the World Series, probably prop that up a little. Uh, but in looking at the comparisons, uh, whether you think it's a fair comparison or not, it was AEW, Raw, and SmackDown all on cable last week. And it was AEW outdoing them in several of the key demos, not the least of which were adults 18 to 49 and adults 18 to 34. Yeah, I I don't know how 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 much of a, a fair comparison it really is. Um, but you know, it was also a week of uh, much decline for AEW. So even that beating a WWE show on FS1, I suppose, could be considered a good sign. But um, I I really don't know how much you look into it overall for the long term. I think it also shows like just the the bump that SmackDown gets by being on a network like Fox. Like I would say if SmackDown moved permanently to FS1, this was the same time slot. So it was not like moving to another night. Um, I I don't think they're doing 2 million viewers every Friday night, even uh, if this was a regular occurrence, like they did a million 30. You would think that, you know, it would, it would swell a little bit above that, 
but they're, they're not doubling that audience on FS1. So I think this is an interesting look at where would SmackDown be if they were on uh, a cable network like FS1. Perhaps. All right. All of the news you can find at postwrestling.com. And coming up this week, we are going to be back on Tuesday night with Rewind Away number 77, the final Rewind Away of the year. And joining us will be Eric Marcotte. And we're going to go through UFC 165. John Jones, Alexander Gustafson from the Air Canada Centre, now Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, Ontario. This was way back in 2013. Seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, a, a fight that John and I were both at. Um, I think we were both backstage. I, I they, These all kind of blend in together. But I'm pretty sure you I were was. backstage because I looked up some videos afterwards and you were clearly holding the microphone and doing all that stuff. So... Uh, Eric Marcotte will be joining us for this entire show, talking about this uh, pretty uh, memorable event, at least for most of us. Uh, so I look forward to it. One of the few re- MMA rewind aways that we do every year. And I'll share the story how I was supposed to meet up with a whole group for lunch, but got into a fender bender that day. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. That's no good. I made it to the card. I'll share that story on Tuesday. Wednesday, we've got a late-night edition of Rewinded Dynamite. So uh, in the U.S., uh, Dynamite's going to be immediately following the NBA game. Uh, In Canada, I've been told that TSN2 will start it at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, we'll have the show up late. It's going to be a bit of a shorter version just going through Dynamite, and we'll get that up for you because the big show is coming Thursday. It is the annual, the fourth annual post-wrestling Christmas show. Many, many mystery guests the invites have been sent out we'll see who shows up it's thursday uh it it will be a lengthy christmas yes i have a feeling it will be but uh it'll be a very familial christmas i i I look forward to speaking to all the members of the post wrestling family and maybe a few surprise guests that we're meeting for the first time too Ooh, what a tease and then this weekend uh, we will be doing a rewind to smackdown for our patrons, but it will not be a live show. We're going to drop it on Saturday instead of Friday. So you can look out for that on the post wrestling cafe feed way. And I will go through the Christmas edition of Friday night, Smackdown Christmas night, Smackdown Christmas night, Smackdown. Okay. Okay. Let's get into raw following TLC. Uh, it took them a good, uh, hour and a half to acknowledge that, uh, the fiend was burnt to death the night before they took their time. No, <laughs> isn't that you the lead? Up. Isn't that like that's the headline? <laughs> and it was like an hour and a half. It's like okay, Randy Orton. Uh, weird stuff went down last night. Let's uh, let's address this. There was gasoline. There was flesh. I think Charlotte's return, you know, was was the big story coming out of the show. Um, it trumps any sort of you know incineration. Do you expect that this show gets um, a, a bit of a bump after last week's low? That, you know, the combination of the pay-per-view, whatever morbid curiosity there was for the Fiend angle, and Charlotte being back. Do you think, like, all Mm. those factors, um, do you think it's up a decent amount, minimal? I think you get a bit of a bump off of the pay-per-view. I don't really think Charlotte makes a whole lot of difference. Um, You know, most of the talk coming out of the show was about the Fiend burning, and I don't know how much interest that would, would, you know... um, get. (laughs) I'm trying to use a word that's not spark or... Um, I'm I'm not kidding, Way. I think if they had actually <laughs> talked about this throughout the first and second hour and promoted the fact that they will re-air the ending, I, I think you would have got a, a curiosity of people to watch this stunt. 
uh, if they just re-aired the ending of that match. Perhaps, yeah. I don't know. Is that would that be good good publicity for them? I I, I guess any publicity at this point is good. Um, I mean, you did it, so you did I it. Mean, yep, you're right. What's the point of hiding it? Well, it is a pay per view attraction, John. You know, it's a spectacle, something you have to pay nine ninety nine for. But uh, I don't know if I. Exp- I think this raw will do better than last week. I don't think it'll be considerably better. Actually, let's talk about this right now. So during the show. You know, we were wondering, like, are, was there going to be a, any noticeable change to the show after last week? Any reaction? I would say the mo- the most significant thing is that in two weeks, they're going to do Raw Legends Night. And it's their going to the well again of bringing back all of the legends, like just a laundry list of people led by Hulk Hogan. And I just think, like, we look at this and this is like their, their ultimate in the, the short-term ideas that will spark a number for a week but as we've seen in the past like these ones it's kind of law of diminishing returns each time they they do this the talent the the legends feel less special every time out like they've done it and i i think this one yes it'll be up from the average but i don't think this is going to be like a giant number of some of the reunions of the past and i again if it's just a one-week blip i don't think this is really solving anything no, I don't think so either. I mean, it's I think exactly the playbook that we expected them to go to anytime they have to hit the panic button. Um, it's I can't tell you it's of any interest to me personally to see another, I don't know, back maybe opening segment or even backstage party involving the likes. That's, what of- it, it, that's all it's going to be, Way It's all going to be these self-contained things that have no relevance to the current stories. And then they're gone next week. Like, we know this playbook. It's going to be Aron Simmons showing up to say, damn, Tori Wilson will be drink, sipping from the punch bowl. Um, fuck, who else did they? Did you catch? Did, do I, I caught like literally all the people they showed images of. They actively promoted Hogan, Flair, Kurt Angle, Beth Phoenix, and Tori Wilson. Those are the big five that they're promoting. Big and then show we, as well. Well, then they had shots, individual shots of Big Show, Jacqueline, Booker T, Sergeant Slaughter, Jimmy Hart. Carlito, IRS, Candace Michelle, Tatanka, Michael Hayes, Boogeyman, and stand back demos, Alicia Fox makes her return. Oh, nice to see Alicia back. And you know what? Uh, Boogeyman, for whatever reason, always gets a call for one of these things. I guess he always... He's on speed dial. He always... uh, He looks the part very well. He always delivers. So happy to see that man get another payday. Um, I can't tell you that I'm at all excited about this thing. It's just, it's sad. It's sad at this point, you know? Even, like, knowing that you have to hit the panic button to, like, you've gone to that well for so many times, it's like, this is what you're left with? No offense to all the legends that they they did list, but it's like, essentially, most of those people are already working in the back, so you're just going to give them uh, some airtime and and a special outfit, and, um... (laughs) Like who here is like that you haven't seen? Like honestly, like Jacqueline is one they haven't brought back. That's literally the most unique. Oh my god, is that a draw? No, no, again, no offense to Jacqueline. It's a draw probably to you and I. But like, will it make a? Will it make a point? Is point zero one of a difference in any rate? Hogan, Hogan will mean something. Like him and Flair, the last time they were on, did do a really good uh, number in their quarter. But again, Mm -hmm. uh, to me, it's whatever they did prior. To me, it's it's just diminishing returns each time out and unless you have like a massive angle to shoot on this night when hopefully you have more eyes on you 
like we know what this is like and typically these shows they're completely self-contained to exactly what way said the the poker games the jokes and then the big curtain call at the end of the night and and that's it and they they don't always come across as all that special and I mean, you look at AEW of what they are maximizing out of one legend that they are building up, and instead it's just like overkill of all these names that are just, again, like I don't look at this as – it's just such a reactionary move that this was the immediate thing that we're seeing. A poker game involving Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, uh, Tori Wilson, Jacqueline, you know, you throw maybe uh, Boogeyman in there. I'd watch that for two hours. And then IRS comes in and calls the cops on them. You you know, you got to pay your taxes on your winnings. He audits them on the poker game. Mm -hmm. Charlotte came out uh, noting this is her first time in the Thunderdome. She was asked for help by Asuka and some call Asuka the heartbeat of this division. And Asuka comes out. They are best friends now. Asuka notes she's a double champion and Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler interrupt, and it's noted they are not in a holiday mood. Nia finally brings up the fact she broke Charlotte's arm in June and mocks Charlotte's robotic voice. And then they started talking about Cole and being naughty or nice this year. Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose come out, and they point out that Jax and Baszler are no longer holding the titles. Shayna looks like Rudolph with a nose job. Speaking of reindeers, the only thing Nia lacks is a set of antlers. Man, God, this this promo needed Frankie Kazarian. Um, yeah, I don't even know if he would have made a difference. So this continues really the line of just awful, awful, awful promos we've seen from the women's tag team division, starting with with Friday. And what the fuck? What was it? The riot, the riot squad were saying. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. man. Who Sarah is Jessica who's Parker? The, yeah. Who's gonna be the tag partner? Sarah Beyonce? No, it's gonna be Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. Uh, what was the what was the last name? This is this like, is how people in their thirties talk. These no, are how friends talk. Like, I I used to think that that was an excuse. I can't imagine any person. Okay, even somebody as crazy, maybe like I don't know, senile at this point as. Uh, the man in charge. How, how they, how anybody would think that. All right. These speaking words, of reindeers, these Nia words would come out a set of antlers. Like how would these words come out of any human being's mouth, and how would any of it classify as trash talk to lead up to a match? You know what's not emphasized enough, though. It's not just how bad the verbiage is. Sometimes it's the subject of the insult and their reaction to it that is just so. Like, if literally, way, if I told you that the only thing you lack is a set of antlers that would make you a reindeer, like, your response to me would be like, you're a fucking loser. That would be your response. That's how a normal person would react to such a lame put down as that. But these, these performers are put in the unenviable task that they have to sell this like they've just been uh, uh, accused of high, high crimes. Oh, it's like almost an alternate dimension where somehow this was, you know, calling somebody Rudolph with a nose job would actually be a, a like this amazing zinger, like <laughs> really witty, like 
great piece of just uh, insult. Like, I I don't understand. It's like a weird... Rea- I mean, this is... We know it's a really strange alternate reality that I think the WWE has created for themselves. It's a, it's a universe where men can get uh, lit on fire and probably survive, or eyeballs can pop out and then just kind of like, I don't know, heal, heal themselves. And it's also a universe where insults, like calling somebody in need of a set of antlers, that's like you know, the ultimate, that's the pinnacle of like, shit, what? You said that? No. How? You shouldn't. Anyway, it's um, awful, awful, awful dialogue. Is, is, is Are you finished uh, recapping the segment or is there more here? Well, my favorite part was that Charlotte uh, accidentally called Shayna, Shayna Blazer. <laughs> and that's all I've got. Flair then suggested they have their match now. This was like one of the most generic opening Raw segments you could have possibly created. The only, only unique part of it was just how terrible this dialogue was. Uh, I would say it was a really lazy, embarrassing effort overall for this opening 15 minutes. It's like, what I was looking for here was, okay, is Lana truly out of this entire thing? Like, would she be brought up here at all? Would she make make a return? Maybe They mentioned the injuries, but that was it. She was just mentioned in passing. No appearance. You know, would she be jealous of, like, Charlotte? And I just don't really get the sense that she's going to be a part of this thing at all. Like, I think she's done. And, again, just begs the question, when that decision was made, um, how strange to, like, blow her off like that, basically, right before the go-home show and then directly pivoting into this? The way they've kind of transitioned from that to Asuka and Charlotte was they're somehow best friends now. Like these two are supposed to be like career rivals. That's how they've been positioned this entire time. And some point off camera, they become really good friends. And that might be the case, but I think you need to do a bit better to explain everything that took place before. They skip they skip so many steps because you could if you had made a big deal of like this injury from Charlotte, there was an opening and Charlotte explained, she pleaded, let me in. I want to get my hands on Naya. Oscar reluctantly agrees. And it's exactly as you said. They're, the backdrop is these are rivals. And for the first time, they have a common enemy. They will, And then you build to the fact that they start to mm-hmm. uh, get along. That said, I don't need any more teams that are the, the enemies that are begrudgingly getting along. That is a very overdone concept. I get that. But that is kind of the way to go about this with Asuka and Charlotte. Instead, we're we're best friends overnight. I completely agree that we have too many teams that can't get along. But if, if that means making Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans get along so that we can actually have two people that shouldn't get along not get along in order to tell a satisfying story, I would rather that. You know, this would be one occasion where I think you need to at least have a bit of friction between the two. At least, you know, some game of like one-upsmanship between the two. Um, you know, I mean, because ultimately you probably want to build to a match between them. And maybe that's still the case, but it just seemed like uh, uh, one too many chapters were skipped here in, in, in seeing these two just suddenly become best friends on commentary. I could also see more um, disappointment with this opening segment, because if you didn't watch the pay-per-view, this segment was your oh, first God. response to last week. And if you were tuning in, say, just out of the sure sheer curiosity of all the publicity that number got last week okay how is wwe responding in segment one identical i, I don't know how many people are in that camp <laughs> like you didn't have any interest going into tonight of would would you see no. any any change from the norm no like i not personally no 
Um, I didn't even think about the rating last week, honestly, before I started watching the show. Just maybe because I've already, I just saw a man, you know, get lit on fire. But uh, I, yeah, maybe there are certain people out there. So the match is Shayna Blazer and Nia Jax against Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. And Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose are now the sexy muscle friends. As Asuka calls them, yeah, the sexy. Over and over and over again. Okay, usually the interplay on commentary is not all that witty, but (laughs) Charlotte is being asked about the type of champions they're going to be. So Charlotte asks Tom, well, what type of champions do you think will be? And he responds, tag. (laughs) Okay, I thought it was funnier. No, Tom was due. He's been taking so much shit. He was right on point uh, with with that answer. What type of champions do you think will be? Tag. Tom, Tom, like knew he had to like do some heavy lifting on the show, having to sell, you know, a man being burnt to death, and then pivoting to. There was no know, one more uncomfortable than those three after the after that Orton segment, and they had to react to <laughs> the man that they assumed was dead, who they'd be going to a funeral for, uh, might be uh, among the living, and we've got to continue with the competition tonight. <laughs> He's like Tom's in like don't fuck with me mode, and that's oh. what you got here with Charlotte. I think Tom just flips a switch from eight till 11. He is just on, Hey, mm-hmm. this is my world. And then it's over. They worked on Mandy's knee for a long time. Jack's missed a uh, leg drop. Uh, we, we eventually built up to uh, Dana's in. She hit a senton. Jack's broke up the cover and then Brooke hit a handspring elbow to Jack's on the floor. I, I thought Dana, like you could see was, you know, Doing a lot of athletic uh, spots, in particular with with Jax on the floor. Baszler then misses Brooks' elbow, where she goes to stomp it, and is sent into the turnbuckle. She stacks Baszler, and as Baszler kicks out, applies the Kirafuda clutch to submit Dana Brooke in 12 minutes and 52 seconds. A lot of time given to Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, and I think that they they show promise here. That's exactly what I, I have in my notes. Yeah, promise was shown here. Um... You know, clearly not in line for the title shot. It, it, it's it's apparent that they're going back to Shayna and Nia at least for a little bit. But um, still, though, they had them stand tall by the end, flipping Shayna and Nia over the top rope, and then eyeing the tag team championship. So maybe they're still in contention. Maybe this was somewhat of a I don't know subtle bit of promotion for the Royal Rumble, even. But uh, they got to build. They got to get some tag teams up and running. And you know, Rose and Brooke and the Riot Squad look to be. Your candidates and clearly like they are unlike Baszler and Jax, it looks like Charlotte and Asuka, they'll be flipping back and forth between Raw and SmackDown, at least this week. At least on the Raw side of things, you don't have a singles women's tag division because you have Asuka as a tag team champion. So you only the, the tag division is the only division right now for the women. So they definitely need to build some teams. I definitely question whether or not you should have had Mandy and Dana lose this match. Like it'd be in this, be in this match period if if that that is your intent. Yeah. So afterwards, they yeah, as Way mentioned, they dumped Baszler and Jax to the floor, so they did give them that shine after the loss. The Hurt Business bullied a kid with a New Day shirt backstage and tore it up, and we had and then they gave him a Hurt Business shirt. So yeah, and they shoved um, it over him, so his arms were trapped. So it's like you know, yeah. On the one hand, they did bully the guy; they did get rid of his shirt, but they also like. They probably spent at least like ten bucks on this, you know, shirt. The cost of this shirt to give to the guy, so it's not like they—they're total assholes. The VIP lounge featured the 
the champions out there. They cut a promo about their dominance. And MVP has a photographer who comes in and R-Truth photobombs them as the 24-7 guys run out. They chase among the Christmas trees. Jeff Hardy. Sorry. The Hardy bros come out. uh, Eric was in this 24-7 group. I don't know the last time I might have seen him. Yeah, from, from the Viking Raiders. Oh, of the Viking Raiders. So I was like, who is Eric? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeff Hardy and Riddle are out. And Riddle asks why the Hurt Business spends so much time at the club. There's a pandemic going on. Riddle suggests that instead they get toasted in their backyard, listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, watch a Dave Chappelle special, and get away from the existential grind of everyday life. There's no need to spread negativity. We are all self-aware carbon matter that's on a rock hurling for the void in space. You know, first of all, um, I guess we have to credit Riddle for being able to remember that line. He he really struggled, but in a weird way, it kind of works that this guy cannot remember half these lines. It actually kind of plays (laughs) into this, but it was... um, a long series of memorizations that uh, Riddle had to go through here. This segment and how they uh, position this Riddle character is a really interesting study to, to how this company thinks of this kind of archetype of like, I don't know, stoner, bro, you know? So like in the past, I would say like for the, the you know prior incarnations, he, he really was just not, not much more than a surfer who loves to eat or like has crazy business ideas. Now we learn a lot more about how they think of Riddle. He is supposed to be somebody who listens to Joe Rogan, likes Dave Chappelle comedy specials, and I guess is what, sort of like a, would you consider this a conspiracy theorist or or somebody who's just like so, maybe thinks way too deep for their own good? He's a stoner. Like that's, this is their, their painting of a, of a, of a stoner character. Like okay, that is so where that's going with that's like talking about carbon matter, um, listening to Joe Rogan and watching Dave Chappelle. These are stories. I mean, may, I mean, maybe he goes on weekends a little further than weed. Maybe that's a gateway for him. It's interesting. I mean, um, I guess, I guess, uh, it's interesting for me to just understand like the 2020 kind of like, um, definition of what perhaps a stoner might be, and it's. It's these things. It's Rogan, Dave Chappelle, Carbon Matter. And it's also um, pretty strange for me to like see in a tag team, Jeff Hardy be the normal one. Is this Riddle character... Like, I don't I don't dismiss that this Riddle character will have a an appeal to people because he's so out there. And for all you want to say, like, Riddle can do these promos and be entertaining doing them. I worry that this guy is much much further from Drew McIntyre than he is from R-Truth. Yeah, is he closer to Drew McIntyre or Drew Gulak? Definitely Drew Gulak today. (laughs) Well, they keep booking him relatively strong. Uh, Certainly, I don't see him being a Drew McIntyre anytime soon. It would probably take a firing and then him coming back, working his way up, and then taking him seriously. Um, You're you're talking years before that but well he's he's not a young guy that's the deceptive part he's like a Kota Ibushi where you think he's much younger than he is he's in his mid-30s this is and this is a very young character he's playing it's not a world champion gimmick at least not in this incarnation but at the same time like 
the way he naturally talks, you kind of have to like the WWE simplification of his natural personality is going to be something like this. He's not the intense type of talker that Drew McIntyre is. So you're not going to get that sort of intense, you know, badass baby face. Um, at least to start, I think this is their way of at least giving him some level of personality. And I, I, I would say they've been somewhat, you know, uh, um, successful, but man, promos like this, I don't think really help anybody. Like they're just so wordy, so unnatural and just, I don't know, not endearing at all. So MVP says we are nothing alike. Hardy then takes the mic and says that a man's character is the only criteria of wealth. We've got to fight with something we have a lot more than you can buy. Our faith, bro. Yeah, you Our really... faith, Terry, bro. So wait, so Jeff is what, like He's religious? father he, He's he's the um He's like the Uncle Stoner to Riddle. He's the Uncle Stoner. He's like the old school pothead. Yes, yes. Okay, he's more of a Cheech and Chong pothead. And you have, uh, I guess, Matt Riddle, who's more of a, I don't know, Joe Rogan pothead? Yes. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know there were so many. Riddle, uh, Riddle's more into, like, you know, all the different, like, strands. Like, he's a maybe a sativa guy. Uh, I don't get much of a Cheech and Chong vibe from Jeff Hardy, you know? Honestly, <laughs> I, it's more of a... What was he talking about? Like faith, the criteria for wealth and faith. Our like, faith, listen bro. to us. We're a wrestling podcast. How how are we even like? How are these words coming out of our mouths? Like this was this was supposed to be trash talk, everybody. Like this was supposed to be a babyface's way of getting heels to want to fight them. Can you this believe w- that? No, this was actually a really effective babyface promo. If you designate the new the the hurt business as the baby faces, because I wanted to see these four murder these two by the end of this, I don't know like what process they have back there of like pen to to paper and then to Vince McMahon's eyes and then to the talent. I have no idea, but like the the idea that like more than two sets of eyes would have seen this and then this would have somehow made to TV and somebody would have said, okay, that's great. Uh I can't believe this. Like, there's this. this. There's the the, pr- the promo from earlier. Like, this entire hour had just some of the worst dialogue ever. This will all be worth it if Joe Rogan reviews this promo on his show. He would not have a second for this. Are you kidding me? Like, he would just, like... This will be his first, uh, probably, introduction to Matt Riddle Pro Wrestler. And <laughs> this guess. would be such a great analysis of someone who has absolutely no idea what's going on. And assessing Matt Riddle, the guy who used to be in UFC and Bellator. I think he's way too busy counting his Spotify money. Sarah interviewed Angel Garza. He's back. He flirted. He gave her a rose. She might be able to interview him later. And he was taking on Drew Gulak. Pants came off. He kicked out of a a avoided O'Connor roll and then super kicked Gulak and hit the wing clipper in two minutes and 12 seconds. Seems like a renewed push for Angel Garza. Um, he's got a new target in Sarah Schreiber, I guess. It's a, it's the same gimmick that I would say has been kind of dead, you know, over the past several months. It's since he's left Andrade, he's definitely like fallen greatly down this card. What happened and, to Charlie? Uh, I don't know. She was on a was she? Uh, they had a ro- didn't they have? They were they were the ones that had the long t- uh, flirtation between them. Maybe she caught on. You know, this mm. guy's not serious. You don't hear from him for a whole month. 
she lost interest. But like you see no evolution in the character at all. It's like the same guy he was when he debuted, you know, this guy who just like says these kind of corny lines. Um anyway, so if Sarah Schreiber was, you know, on top of the journalism, isn't question number one what happened to Demi Burnett? I suppose, yeah. I don't think they're great journalists, though. They're not really. Maybe, maybe to the be. fiend's gonna bring back. Maybe she's with the fiend. Oh, okay. Demi Burnett, yeah, a bachelor with the fiend. Wow. AJ Styles and Omos are with Charlie. He's got this nasty gash on his cheek from the TLC match. He says the Miz screwed him out of his title shot, but he's going on Miz TV to hear him out. Sounds about right. Miz and Morrison are in the ring. They bring out AJ and Omos, and he says AJ is impulsive. AJ calls him an idiot. Miz said that the briefcase was everything. He brought up what it did for him a decade ago. It was supposed to do the same thing for me this year. For 15 years, I've fought for respect to try and become the poster boy of WWE, but no one cares. But if I had cashed in, maybe they would respect me, and I could take Raw to new heights. Is that possible? The the heights they are hitting on a weekly basis. The Miz. He he certainly would be taking them to a new level. I promise that. He apologizes, says they were both robbed last night, and offers AJ a role in the next Marine film. So we got we're, we're hitting all the, the, the biggest hits, way. The all hits. the greatest hits. Photoshop with a poster of AJ uh overshadowed by the Miz and almost. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like we've had the, we had the Miz here kind of resort to his talking smack, you know, angry promo voice. <laughs> his talking smack voice. <laughs> and at this point it's just it's it's really transparent that it's really just a gimmick. It's kind of like Dolph Ziggler at this point, you know. We know you can hit that register where you want to sound really serious and unfortunately for an angle like this and a type of character that he is right now, it comes across as disingenuous, which is what not not what that talking smack segment felt like. You know, when he was like cutting that promo on Daniel Bryan, you really felt like he believed his words. This one just felt like he was unfortunately acting, and um, I just I don't I didn't think it was all that effective. Almost gets involved and says it was Morrison who technically cashed in, and then they traded the worst insults on the show, and that's saying something. So. <sighs> We go back and forth here. Miz then clues into what was said. And he says, yes, John Morrison cashed in the briefcase, not me. So that is our loophole that the Miz is trying to use to get the briefcase back, which it would not surprise me if given the the lack of drama behind the loss of that briefcase, he gets this thing back. And they they may, in fact, kill this money in the bank gimmick. It, it they, It's had a really good run, but they are definitely going to test this gimmick of having any kind of staying power they've they've really kind of put it through the ringer this year like first of all having otis win it and winning it by it falling onto him then by having the miz win it in a lawsuit oh wait he won it in a match to uh, the tucker turn he institute he 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 initial he initiated it with a lawsuit uh, by where the verdict was to have a wrestling match by bribing JBL, yes, and then he went, he ended up winning it in a match. He cashed it in, law did not win the match, and now might actually get it back. So, um, fuck, like 
it might be the worst year for Money in the Bank. I I think this is pretty damn bad. I mean, there was the year that uh, Damian Sandow had it right and didn't. Uh, That's better than and that. lost. It was significantly better than this. He had like a suede briefcase. Drew Ma- Drew McIntyre comes out. Uh, he got drunk after TLC, and he laughed about the nightmare before TLC. Then he did some more drinking and thought of a sequel, The Nightmare After TLC. So, in unison, Drew McIntyre, Seamus, and Keith Lee appeared with cue cards to read The Nightmare After TLC. A perfect description of this segment. Seamus forgets how it ends because he got blackout drunk after three. They all fight. AJ drop kicks Keith Lee into Sheamus. Sheamus must have still been hammered because he somehow didn't see this out of the the whole side of the ring that AJ did this. So he gets pissed at Keith Lee for falling into him and Drew had to be separated by him. Yes. So, uh, yeah, now it's a uh, best friend of Sheamus who can't get along. He's just caught in between, you know, his new best friend Keith Lee or his old best friend in Sheamus. And uh, a really cute rhyme that they did, you know. Um, Christmas is just a wealth of creativity, I think, for uh, this company. We've seen, of course, the great... Wasn't last week the Nightmare Before TLC? That was the night before TLC? That was the Nightmare Before TLC. Tonight was the Nightmare After TLC. Oh, of course, yes. Okay, because the first one was so great. Right. Um I just don't want to see fighters do poetry. I don't know. It's just like... Isn't that something interesting that last week, the show started with that, and the first hour was awful. Like, it was down from the beginning. Would you not take a lesson from that? And the thought would be, let's do it again this week, but with the baby faces doing the reciting of our silly poem. I think they just see the holiday theme and they can't really help themselves. And I think there's a lot of fun to be had with like any holiday theme. But I just don't – I think something like this you really reserve for like your undercard. I, I wouldn't do it for your main eventers, you know, coming in and, and reading poetry. But Did uh, someone beat Vince McMahon as a child with a candy cane kendo stick? Because there's not a Christmas that goes by that we can't have the candy cane kendo stick. The can- in the, the empty box presents? Really, like I think they, in order to really make this a bit more dangerous, like the pre- the boxes in, inside should have like anthrax or something. Oh Jesus, way! Well, just like some or explosions, glass, you know. Vaccine on a pole. One person gets the vaccine. I think that's a new retribution member. Vaccine. <laughs> vaccine? Yeah. <laughs> oh no! It's 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 gotta be that's Pfizer. It's Pfizer. No, he hit him with the Moderna. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Keith Lee and Seamus are arguing backstage. Drew screams at them. Seamus says it was an accident, and or sorry, he tells Seamus it was an accident, and he's told to go cool down in the corner. And he tells Keith, Seamus is like a brother to me. For the last four weeks, he's been my brother, but he can also be a prick sometimes, and he would do anything in the world for me, and he talks Keith Lee into teaming with them tonight because we've got a holiday street fight, and we just, we've got to win. 
We've got to win the holiday street fight. <laughs> and Keith says, you know what, Drew? We do need to win the holiday street fight. And I am willing to put personal vendettas aside with Seamus because the prick could help us win the much celebrated holiday street fight. Let's do it. In years past, it was what the, the what is it? Miracle on 34th street fight. Changed it up this year. Yeah, uh, they did. It's a holiday street fight. Yeah. So, you know, like Seamus and Drew do have like a real history. It's, it just feels really sudden because we, I guess, aren't privy to a lot of the, the background information between the two. It's just been kind of somewhat just, I don't know, casually conveyed in backstage interactions between the two. But like these two have like really legitimately grown up in the scene together, like had their tryouts similarly at the same time. Uh, There's a great story for it. And I, and I'm all in favor of them going this direction for the rumble mm -hmm. program. Um, and I hope some of it is on TV. I hope it's not the case where all of this stuff is knowing that they have this background, but it's not until the day before the Rumble and we get this awesome chronicle where they go through all the footage and their friendship. Some of it's on the Austin podcast. I mean, you know, but but yeah, a lot of it is research you kind of have to do on your own. Uh, like at the beginning of this entire thing, I think it certainly called for some sort of video package or at least like, I don't know, some sort of like, just show me a photo. Of these two when they're young, <laughs> hanging out like the oh, shit. Just, they knew proof. each other. <laughs> proof. T bar against Ricochet. You know, we talked about Goldberg's streak. It's got nothing on Ricochet's streak. He's going to lose to everybody in retribution. T bar throws Ricochet around. Ricochet pulls down the rope. There's a sliding drop kick to Slapjack, and he flips off the steps to Mace, but gets hit from behind by T bar. Ricochet grabs and goes for Ali, allowing T-Bar to take Ricochet and hit him with Feast Your Eyes. And T-Bar pins Ricochet. So if you're keeping score, that is now Slapjack, Mace, and T-Bar, who have all beaten Ricochet. Wow, all three? Wow. Only leaves one more. Well, maybe uh, uh, Reckoning will get her shot. Will they do an intergender? They can at least have, have her pin him somehow. Embarrass him somehow, yeah. So, uh, so quite th the threat, you know. Like Ricochet, if you don't join us, we're gonna keep making you lose on Raw. <laughs> yeah, what? You know, guys, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful. You know, I'm just grateful to to even lose to you on Raw. You know, I could be on main event, but like I'm on Raw. This is like, guys, boy, I've I'm already, I've already won. Yeah. I'm here. Will he be vaccine? <laughs> Will he be vaccine? Um, he needs the cure. Yeah. Yeah. T-Bar asks, when will you learn? We are not the enemy. We are your ally. Join us or we will end your existence. At All this right. point, it'd be like either or. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll okay. join and my existence here. I'm I'm cool. Whatever you guys want. Same difference. The New Day talked about their match from last night and said, this is what the New Day does. We lose the tag titles, but we always win them back. And Kingston mentioned cracking two of his molars uh, that he put a graphic photo of. I think, I think it's really time. I mean, I know like this kind of like this point has kind of been hammered to death ever since Kofi Kingston lost the WWE championship, but I want to see a depressed New Day. 
I want to see a new day that just like can't get out of bed. They start dressing in like really kind of like muted colors. Um, you know, eating cereal with no milk because I don't know, they just, just you can't process dairy anymore. They'd have to um, redo their entrance though. Same day, different shit. Yes, it is. Yes. And out yeah. they come, like just slumped over, poor posture. Yeah. Like, I want to see an emo new day. Who? Who cares? <laughs> That's great. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> we got a SmackDown promo. So this is what we've got advertised. Reigns and Owens, universal title inside a steel cage. Sami Zayn and Big E for the Intercontinental title. And Charlotte and Asuka defending the tag titles against the unknown. The unknown, yeah. Who could it be on SmackDown? No one we want to promote. We actually think it would be a detriment to promote the opponents in advance. We're just going to go with the the A-side. That could be the case. Because who else could it be but the Riot Squad? Like, who is on that? Oh, I'm not expecting it to be the Riot Squad if they're not even announcing the name. I mean, it could be just, like, player A and player B that they just put opposite them. Who Who are those? It is very strange. WWE does not do, like, those trivial title matches like they specifically said defending the titles so that leads me to believe it has to be a team of some some notoriety i just can't even picture who's on that roster right now that we either do a makeshift team or the riot squad like those those are the options right yeah but like who do you even have to do a makeshift makeshift team with maybe they grant billy k and a, oh. the latest mystery partner. Oh, okay, shot. that's going to be it. It's going to be Billy Kay and, and her gimmick, even though she lost every match. Um, it it has to sense. be the, the Rad Squad, right? If it's a title match. I just don't know why you wouldn't promote that then. I don't know. Bobby Lashley and MVP took on Riddle and Jeff Hardy. Match went 11 minutes and 49 seconds with uh, Riddle and Jeff Hardy double teaming together. We got the broetry in motion, a floating bro. Hardy got sent through the corner, landing on the steps, and they worked on his shoulder for a long time until he hit a whisper in the wind, tagging in Riddle, who had a strong sequence with MVP. Lashley came in, stopped a vertical suplex. Riddle then comes off the shoulders and takes out Alexander and Benjamin on the floor. Hardy kicks down MVP, misses a swanton, spear is blocked, but the hurt lock is applied, and Jeff Hardy submits Lashley. Unbeatable. Yes, unbeatable Bobby Lashley. You know, we've been pretty negative for this entire Raw review, and I'm not apologetic for that at all because this was a terrible Raw. I I feel like we more than backed up all of our uh, pessimism, but I thought this was maybe the first good thing I saw in this match. It resulted in a good match here. I thought the Hardy Bros have good chemistry, and most importantly, Lashley continues to look really good. Think about the transformation this man's gone from from the beginning of this year with Lana and that storyline to where he is now. You know, it does feel to me. A like year he, ago, we were getting ready for that wedding. It was right around. Jesus. I think it was like the New Year's edition of 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 Raw. Like the, what MVP has done for this man is incredible, and it's it works both ways too. You know, they've they've helped each other. But oh, it's it's been great for all that we've talked about how they've they've got it with Drew McIntyre this year. Like that's been a big success. The Hurt business has been a big success this year. Doesn't it feel like to you that Lashley right now can pivot to a World Championship? You know, match with Drew McIntyre, like a program with Drew McIntyre. I'm almost, I'm almost frustrated they did the match this past spring when Lashley was just at the beginning stages of this new character. They and did. yes, 
They did it at a pay-per-view. W- was it a pay- title match? Yes. This was after oh, WrestleMania. Wow. Oh, I totally forgot. Well, they did the one match, and then they didn't go back to it. Um, but the fact that you don't even remember it says yes. They could. Like, that's the thing. Like, they have built up last year. have the Hurt Business, did he? It's when MVP was just starting to work with him. It wasn't the fully okay. fleshed out group. Okay. Um, but yes, the answer is yes. You can pivot this guy very easily to a title program. I guess it's like Drew is kind of occupied, but I like the fact that they've got this guy in Lashley that when they need a, an opponent, he is ready. He has been so protected in this role. And I'm definitely not going to, in an era where it's so often the, the 50-50 booking, like with Lashley, they've just gone all the way with this guy. Um you know, they've done a great job. I, w- I wish this guy was 10 years younger, but he doesn't look it. He does not look his age. Having him sort of be the centerpiece, you know, as like the, the, the big muscle behind a group of successful wrestlers just, you know, makes him look good. And I think, yeah, like I certainly think he's ready for the next step. He's going to be feuding right now. It looks like with either Riddle or Riddle might be like the Hardy Bros might be feuding with like, I guess, over the tag team titles. Actually, that's probably more likely. But then why would you have Lashley beat? Jeff Hardy, if is this going to be part of the? Tag I, team? I I think Lashley Riddle is the the direction, but yeah, oh. it, Riddle and Jeff Hardy is not just a one off. Like they're obviously going to be a pseudo tag team in all of this. I mean, you could have, you know, we're probably going to see Riddle and Jeff Hardy in the the role of the New Day, where we're we are going to see many combinations of this. Riddle and Jeff Hardy going for the tag titles. Riddle with Lashley. Like I think that the these uh, six are all going to be interchangeable for a while. Oh, so that means they need to add somebody else to this group of crazy podheads. Well, there's um, are there any immediate candidates that come to mind that would uh, fit this this duo? Um, sure, there's I'm sure there's got to be Dexter Loomis. Sure, yeah, why not? They're all artists in their own way. In their own way, yeah. AJ Miz and Morrison are arguing in the back. 9.45 p.m. We acknowledge that you may have witnessed a death last night. And they re-air highlights of the Firefly Inferno. But before we can get to that, Elias and Jackson Riker are in the ring. Elias goes through his year. It has not been great for him. Riker has been reborn, but then they're interrupted by the Lucha House Party. Elias starts playing the guitar as Grand Metalik takes on Riker singing he's going to lose, obviously borrowing from that match we uh, talked about on main event a few weeks back where they experimented with this. Riker misses with the shoulder, and Metalik sends Elias off the top, gets nailed by Riker, and hit with a sit-out choke bomb in 55 seconds. Strong squash win for Riker. I mean, anytime they want to push like a monster with these squash matches... For the first few weeks, like it's like, yeah, like this, this, this works. It's promising. Um, it's in the midst of a lot of silliness for this Jackson Riker, so you really have to wonder like what the ceiling is for for all this. But it's it's a refresh refresh for Elias that I think helps him too. So it, in the end, it's going to be like an Elias mid card type of thing, like Baron Corbin level perhaps. But um, it, it it refreshes him, yeah. Randy Randy Orton and his hoodie entered. I guess this is the new look he'll be going with for the time being. Get in your Christmas orders in time. Uh, sh- no shirt, hoodie, pants or no pants, pants today? I think he had pants here. Oh, wow. Becoming a trend. 
He has been called sick and twisted, deranged and demented, and he proved it last night when he burned the fiend alive. A normal man would have regrets. But the fiend is no man, and I am not normal. I enjoyed every second of it. He relives the scene right here in the ring. The stench of burning flesh has a tendency to linger. <laughs> he says, the fiend is gone, and I'm the evil son of a bitch that took him out. The lights go out, and there in the ring appears Alexa Bliss on her new swing set, Alexa's Playground, which I'm guessing is going to be her new interview segment. Yeah, I guess so, too. I guess this replaces a moment of bliss. She guesses where the fiend could be, makes some burning jokes, and warns Randy of what will happen when he returns, because right now he is home. And it goes dark. And Tom Phillips, Samoa Joe, and Byron Saxton had to question their career paths for the next 30 seconds as they reacted to this astonishing note from Alexa Bliss that he is home. I, As in, the man might not be dead. And I've seen Samoa Joe face like CM Punk, Kenta Kobashi. Like, this was, this was the greatest selling. I think Samoa Joe's ever done in his career. Um, certainly the toughest, you know, to have to come back from that and then to have to like <laughs> move on to Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans backstage. Do you, do you remember when Kurt Angle came to TNA and they went immediately to the Angle Joe match and then they went to it again and they extended it and then they had to get cute. They're like, well, we got to keep interest in this program. So they gave Samoa Joe a girlfriend. And at the time, <laughs> yeah, it was thought of, this is the stupidest angle ever. You gave Samoa Joe a girlfriend. Dude, this guy is begging for that girlfriend at this point. <laughs> Those days. He, remember yeah. the comment he made? He's like, how did you uh, injure yourself? He's like, oh, I tripped over some bad booking recently. <laughs> and that was like the big comment at the time. Yeah. It was like, you look in comparison to like, if this guy had a crystal ball, where will I be in you, December of 2020, 13 years later? Dude, he's begging for Okado. He's begging for the face tattoo, I'm sure, at this point. Yeah. Anyway, listen, I, I, I think these three were just hysterical here. It's hilarious. And I guarantee they were cracking up afterwards or at least questioning, like, what the what the hell is going on? But... I, I think it's a rib, honestly. Like, they don't have to cut to the announcers. You can just go right, like, Faith the Black, go right up with, like, I don't know, somebody backstage doing an interview. But, like, they always, always, always go to the announcers to get them to act serious to see how they can handle it before they go to, like, the next stupid segment. So I, I really do think it's, it's, it's supposed to probably a joke to the amusement well of Vince. What do you see happening in the new year with Joe? Do you think that this is his permanent role? Do you see uh, an in-ring return at some point that they I, go with him? I mean, from the sounds of like interviews, it sounds like he's not done in-ring. So I have to imagine he's might be ready soon, if not already. So I can see an in-ring return. But, you know, if you're also Samoa Joe, like... This he's is really good in this role. But, no, not at all. And he's good at it. Like, you listen, can do it raw... after your retirement. You know, whenever that might be. Lacey Evans was in the back with her partner, Pepe. And they have requested this match coming up next with Asuka and Charlotte. They don't need a handout. Lacey left. So Pepe told 
Cersei that she was the one who requested the match. And she is to take credit for getting the match, I guess. So this is where their way of creating dissent. It's um, Peyton. You don't, clearly... you don't think they're on the same page? How are they going to work together? Peyton taking credit for the title shot. Peyton refusing to what high five Lacey. So she's sort of the reluctant one of the group. And why? Why is she reluctant? Well, she just got out of a long term tag team. Is Trust issues. Yeah, don't know what the backstory really is. Maybe they explained it in detail on main event. Uh. Or on social media or on TikTok. Um, I, I, I was not aware. The announcers did not inform us. Evans tags as Peyton is going for a bridge and then gets caught in the Oscar lock, but she's not the legal woman. So Evans was thinking ahead there. Naya and Shayna are standing in the back watching. Evans tags as Peyton climbs to the top turnbuckle. So they argue, allowing Oscar to hit a German and tag in Flair, who runs wild on both. Peyton rolls into a half crab. Evans yanks down Oscar, and then Evans goes for a pescado and nearly uh, face planted to the floor. Oscar then breaks the half crab and takes out Lacey with a head kick. Flair kicks out of a cradle, gets the figure eight on Peyton. Eight minutes and seven seconds. I thought that you know Peyton had some decent moments here with Charlotte towards the end. Sure, yeah. Good closing rush, I thought, from both Charlotte and Asuka. Um, I think, you know, those two on a t- in tag team together can provide some really interesting performances from whoever they face next. So uh, it looks like they're going right back to Nia and Shayna because in one episode, the entire Raw women's tag team division has been completely cleared. Um, both legitimate tag teams taking losses on this one. So going right back to Nia versus Shayna soon. Can you see a title change back to Nia and Shayna before... I guess we continue maybe with Alana storyline or something like that. I wouldn't do it immediately, but I, because I, I, I see Oscar and Charlotte holding it for at least some time. I, I don't think this should be a one or two week title reign. I don't think so either. But uh, not until you're ready to do Charlotte and Oscar. I think that that's ultimately what this ends. But this is this is like step one. I wouldn't want to. You don't need to rush to that at like the Rumble. I'm happy to see them play with like sort of the sh- brand moving. You know. Uh, gimmick that's attached to, the, to these belts they don't kind of make use of, of that enough it's always at least a bit of an attraction to see charlotte or oscar on a different show the miz is on the phone with his lawyer trying to get the contract back styles hangs up holiday street fight time drew mcintyre sheamus and keith lee would they get along against aj styles the miz and john morrison would they get along um no. You had both sides that weren't getting along with one another. Happy holidays. <laughs> Drew's left knee is taped up. Morrison would kick away at it. Uh, Seamus and Lee congratulate one another by slapping each other on the back harder and harder, and it escalates until Drew has to stand in and Dad calms them as they go to commercial. Afterward, Seamus is distracted on top by AJ, and Morrison shoves him through a table on the floor. They have the heat on Seamus until Drew gets the tag and hits belly-to-bellies all over the place to everyone. Miz kicks out the knee. All six are in, and we're just seeing move after move culminating in the most vicious weapon of all. The candy cane kendo stick delivered right to Drew's knee. AJ gets thrown into a Christmas tree and then powerbombed through a table where he is soaked in eggnog. Yeah, ouch. He he can now say that he 
had to wear the turkey suit in Impact, and he got doused in eggnog in WWE. He's got all the holiday um, checkpoints. It's been quite the career, yeah. Sheamus gets the candy cane kendo stick. And as Drew is setting up for the Claymore, Sheamus tags himself in because he wants all the glory. But then Keith Lee tags himself in. And John Morrison is dumped into the arms of Omos, who drops him through a table. Keith hits the spirit bomb and pins the Miz. 18 minutes and five seconds. The baby faces celebrate. Sheamus says, did you really think I was a prick? And he brogue kicks Keith Lee. And Drew yells at him, saying, I vouched for you. And that's how we end Descent Amongst the Pals. It's going to be an awkward drinking session tonight. Yeah, it's, uh, Christmas is going to be kind of uncomfortable. You know, who who sits in the back seat? You know, who, uh, who, um, I don't know, uh, gets, who, um, pays for, for the coffees. Uh, I don't know. I'm out. I mean, it's all logical, this entire storyline. I mean, we've had weeks now of Keith Lee questioning Seamus's loyalty to Drew McIntyre, so uh, that story's there, and now it's kind of coming to a head with Drew McIntyre caught in the middle. It's kind of like um, kind of like a, the Golden Lovers uh, elite storyline. Except, um, it's Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. Yeah. Yeah, sure. The man is torn between an old best friend and a new best friend. Who do you choose? It's going to be very dramatic. Uh, but in all, all serious, seriousness, I, I think this is one of the moan bright spots on the show. I can't say I really enjoyed the, the promos leading up to the match, but I think the, the, the story itself is fine. Yeah, I, I think it's a good direction to go for Drew. I mean, this was this is different from a lot of their top programs where traditionally it would have been Drew attached at the hip of AJ up until last night. And then tonight it's, okay, what's our next pay-per-view? Who's the opponent? Sheamus, let's shoot an angle. No, they they started this friendship ahead of time. So you've built that up. So now you can uh, develop it further. And if the idea is Drew and Sheamus at the Rumble then I hope they have it like all mapped out of how they're going to get there. And this would indicate like they have a plan of where they're going with. So I, I don't think this, uh, it seems like Drew Sheamus, that's... Could it be a three-way? Possible. Yeah, possible. Like Keith Lee is very much a part of this. So overall, what do you think of Raw? Not a great show tonight, um, especially coming off last week. I think that you did need to come out with a bit of a statement Raw tonight of just doing things a bit differently. Like I just wanted to see like, Hey, we're not just going to throw out the same usual show. Um, and we did like presentation wise, the exact same. And maybe that's me being foolish for uh, thinking that, but I mean this, if anything, it, like it doubled down on a lot of the, the deep seated issues that a lot have with raw and that take away your inability to have like a deep rooted emotion in many of these characters. Like you cannot get into some of the, the like these lines that they convey the it's just it's it's a larger issue but it just seemed like they were going as hard as ever with some of these promos tonight that just seemed to be ultimate WWE the fact that they announced this legends raw tells me that they're not on that track at all of like solving you know whatever kind of creative issues that might be at the heart of the, this entire thing 
And to be fair, who knows when that was officially planned, but I mean, the timing, it really does feel like a reaction. Yeah, I, I, I would assume for me, but, um, I, I just don't sense that they are able to maybe identify some of the core issues involved on this show. Certainly like any issue with very stiff, awkward, completely unnatural dialogue. Like that, you we heard today some of the worst. I thought this entire year, like uh, in terms of verbiage coming out from the roster's mouths. So I, I don't see this problem really fixing itself at all. And this, you know, upcoming band aid solution suggests that they—that's all they have to rely on is band aid solutions. Well, we go to the forum, and tonight's show registered a three point five three from the forum. Paul from New Jersey, can I nominate the opening talking segment for one of the worst of the year? Oscar was funny, though. If Dane and Mandy are smart, they will run with sexy muscle fronts. I respect you, Miz, but your overacting makes you a perfect fit for that Marine franchise. How about the year Cedric Alexander has had? I bet Alexander would try and beat the crap out of 2020. Let's speed up Peyton Royce getting far away from Lacey Evans. A 4 out of 10. Angel Garza looks like a star to me. Does he ascend to main event status, or does WWE ruin him? I don't see it at all. Not right now. He's a very talented guy um, and had a lot of buzz on him when he was called up. I think that uh, it's the tag team run with Andrade certainly didn't do him any favors. Andrade, I mean, what's happened to him? Uh, I imagine he might be back soon. He was never drafted. Oh, okay. Well, he'll probably be at Raw. That's my guess. We got an Andrew from Cape Breton who says, who says, clearly WWE learned nothing from their rock bottom rating last week by starting with another bad opening segment. It's not as if the segment was offensive, but it was the same old bad dialogue accompanied by the same trope of people interrupting each other, leading to a tag match. A lot of Raw tonight felt like people were just spinning their wheels still and doing nothing different. Lashley tapping out Hardy, tag partners who couldn't get along in two matches, an awful 24 segment, and a bad Bray Wyatt nonsense segment the freshest things they had on the show tonight were angel versus drew gulak and jackson Riker versus grand Mandalik, simply because you don't see them wrestle very often andrew i think you would love main event <laughs> if that is um you know what 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 might be um of interest he says speaking of Riker, how come roadies end up being the far right wing nuts these musicians tend to look at who they're hiring <laughs> need to look at who they're hiring yeah <laughs> <laughs> Aaron from Brampton. I was pretty much tuning in and out of Raw, so to me it seemed like an average show. For what it's worth, I did enjoy the Miz TV segment, but I can see how some might hate it. Now that the year's over, I think it's fair to say every WWE pay-per-view was received well by most fans, or at least from what I notice on Reddit. Why do you guys think that the pay-per-views are well put together, can't miss shows, but most episodes of Raw feel skippable? It's the same people putting these shows together, so I'm always puzzled when you put on a banger of a show and then follow up with an at with an average at best Raw. Well, pay-per-view matches typically have con- like conclusive endings to the matches. They are allowed to wrestle longer uh, without commercial break interruptions. The matches are usually built up, and they mean more. You've got um, a great roster. Yeah. And, I and, think that and, gets and, forgotten a lot, that this main roster is pretty loaded. Above all, it's like, yeah, the talent that you're hiring, the same talent who's able to like create those incredible takeovers, that's the talent you have right now on Raw. And outside of the system of having a... Like, act and recite these terrible lines on tv um i don't know engage in like matches that result in 
like an infinite amount of stupid interruptions to go to commercial break. You have at the heart of all of these performers incredible wrestlers, and the pay per views are where they really get to kind of like use that skill, you know, to 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 their best ability. That still hasn't really changed. I'm disappointed that they didn't take anything significant from, especially the build up to WrestleMania. Do you remember that go home show where we had to get those several monologues just in the empty performance center? And I thought it was some of the best promos mm-hmm. we heard in a WWE setting this year. And it was like, this would never happen in a WWE environment. If not for this insane set of circumstances, but what a gift like that just was, these were really compelling, and I said at the time, like, I wonder if they will take any of these elements that are different that they were forced to do and incorporate them, and they haven't. And I thought that that was clearly guys that were left to their own to and not really given, to like, time restrictions. Like, you had, you know, several minute-long promos from people, and it was really captivating stuff on that show. Like, different degrees of it, but the the good was very good. I guess they didn't like it enough to want to keep it. Like it, ever since the Thunderdome came around, it, it seems like they're trying to recreate, you know, very much like what a Raw would typically be with a crowd. Uh, am I up next? Uh, I'll, I think it's me. Kate, who remembers the Simpsons episode where Ralph Wiggum points to a place in his yard and says, that's where I saw the leprechaun. He told me to burn things. That's who Randy Orton is to me right now. Even if the fiend were to come back, I don't know why anyone would feel threatened by him because he seems easier to dispatch than a mosquito. Other than a very slight tease that Charlotte is planning on challenging Oscar for her title, I thought that the only story advancement that happened tonight was the last minute with Drew telling Sheamus off for refusing to show respect for Keith Lee. I actually want to see that conflict, and I hope the WWE can build a few more of that interest for me. Didn't happen tonight, though. Five out of ten. Thanks very much, Kate. We got an Adam from the street who says that scar on AJ's face looks infected. As bad as retribution is, nothing is as nauseating as their entrance. It makes the camera shots when someone gets repeatedly hit by a chair look stable. After last night, it seemed to be obvious that the Romans, that the Owens Reigns feud could would go on for a long time, and tonight it seemed as if they might wrap up on Friday. Also, so so much for separating the rosters as the women tag champs are going to SmackDown this week. Well, that's part of the deal. They've always had that that ruling. I. Who cares? Like I, that's one of the good things about like the titles actually that I kind of wish they would do. Like we talked about yesterday with the tag belt, have one set of tag belts and you like give people a reason to want to win that belt because they might want to cross over to face somebody. How great of a story would that be? It would also be cool for when you do a title change. It opens up. You'd have less titles, but you would have more possibilities that if someone wins a title, it opens up all these different matches because this person can't go over. Like if you could make the rosters that distinct, that it would mean something when someone wins and all of a sudden uh, that person can go over. Like we, you know, they were trying to inst- like create that like hall pass. What is it? Wild card thing? The wild card. And then there was the, uh, yeah, okay. the invite deal or that how, they did earlier this year. How much better would it be if wrestlers had to compete to earn one of those wild cards to jump to the other show? You know, maybe Otis would have to win it. You know, he'd have a reason to go to see Mandy or like to get revenge on Tucker or something like that. Or somebody, you know, wanting to just go to Charlotte, wanting to, I don't challenge Sasha Banks or something like it would give a reason for them to want to compete. It would give a reason for why this person is jumping from one show to another. It just creates story. And 
Instead, we just kind of have like a random mishmash of things. Even like this tag team title situation, they don't use the very special abilities that these belts grant enough. So we got a no one from sorry. Uh, okay, that's that's you. Noah from Vaughn writes, Happy holidays, guys. I think I should have watched TLC instead of Raw, because after hearing what a good show TLC turned out to be, I decided to tune into Raw tonight. I gotta say, spending the first 30 minutes of the show on the women's tag division was pretty surprising, and not at all entertaining, aside from Asuka's commentary. The stuff with Retribution is so weird. Not only is Ricochet getting killed each week, but the group's goal has shifted from we want to destroy WWE to why won't Ricochet be our friend is quite the change. I let out an audible groan when they announced Legends Night for two weeks from now. What is it going to take for them to realize that doing something like that won't lead to more long-term interest in the product? And at this point, who really cares to see old people do their entrance and wave to the LED screens? By the way, highly recommend checking out BTE this week, one of the best episodes of the year. Yes, it's their Christmas Carol version, but I've not watched it. Alex from Portland, finally, he says, I love when street fights involve tagging in and out. Said no one ever. Glad WWE is promoting legends for Raw, such as Sergeant Slaughter, Ric Flair, and Alicia Fox. I hope WWE isn't flying these legends into Florida during a pandemic. The 25th anniversary show for Raw featuring all the legends had roughly 4.5 million viewers. What are your predictions for the ratings for Legends Raw in two weeks? Well, I will uh, tell you that I'm not expecting 4.5 million viewers. That was for the 25th anniversary, but they have done uh, several of these uh, in recent memory, and they have they have gone down. Uh, so I am not expecting that there is going to be uh, a giant interest, uh, a giant increase over a standard RAW. Like if this if this were to do. Uh, I don't even know what they're going against uh, that that night either, but I would say like I, I don't even think this will necessarily be a guarantee to hit two million viewers. I don't think so. Like last week, we're we're talking about one point five, and to make up for that is like is Hulk Hogan that big of a difference? Maybe he still is to some people, but man, I think they they would have to stack this thing with like good matches too. You know, it can't just be see Hulk Hogan play. Blackjack. <laughs> I think the last time they did this, uh, with, with with Steve Austin, mind you, that they brought back as the main legend, uh, was September of 2019, and they did 2,130,000 viewers. September this year? Of, of last year, 2019. It feels like it's a very different landscape now, even compared to last September. Don't you? Uh, it's, a, it's a definitely... Like their very- averages are way down. Oh yeah, like we're we're talking like they're they haven't done two million viewers since since uh, after WrestleMania. Like that period, they were like in sort of like the like two point five, two point seven, like maybe like mm-hmm. mid twos, even like threes. Not that far, uh, far removed from from doing threes, and now it's like half that. So yeah. aside from that first RAW at the Thunderdome, they haven't done two million viewers since the night after WrestleMania. So that's kind of. Like two million would be a gigantic win for them, and I I do not see them doing that for this this Legends uh, deal. I don't either. So, all right, thank you everybody for the feedback. Uh, we're back Tuesday night. Rewind away covering UFC 165 with Eric Marcotte, and Thursday the big fourth annual post wrestling Christmas show. So look out for that on the free feed and late night dynamite on Wednesday. So. Lots of stuff to look forward to, even during this holiday week. We will have shows coming out. Way, thank you as always. 
Uh, Andrew Thompson, a big thank you for joining us for the news segment. And all of you for listening. Uh, have a wonderful evening, day, week, year. We'll be back soon enough.